What's up people, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Today we're talking all about the changes and moving and shaking that's going on in IOSH. Let's get into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. A huge fire engulfs a tower block in London. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. Okay, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the podcast and YouTube channel doing exactly that. We are here to rebrand health, safety, well-being, whatever we want to call it. We're here to challenge the perception, to challenge the stereotype, to provide some simple, useful safety advice, have some damn good conversations along the way. So if you're new here, hit subscribe, give us a rate, give us a review. Um, Don't forget to listen to the end for all of our social um, so you can engage with us so we're talking today about the changes moving and shaking going on in the world of IOSH the international no the institute (laughs) can't even get the friggin acronym right the institution of occupational safety and health IOSH for those of you not in the health and safety game basically this is a uh, conglomerate of health and safety professionals imagine a room if you will full of people in safety glasses uh, clipboards and high vises and that is IOSH no not really it's just a load of people that work in the health and safety game that kind of come together and they create an institution of safety professionals to lead us forward they produce a magazine every month which i have read a few articles out but we have a new president the new president is a person i've spoke about quite a lot on this podcast i've read two of his books i've reviewed two of his books and that is andrew sherman now let me be honest with you I'm a massive fan of Andrew Sharman, huge, huge fan of him, huge fan of how he kind of operates. I like the two books I've read, all the articles that I've read, videos I've watched. I absolutely love his message. Very, very kind of reasonable, uh, practical approach to safety, um, which I'm a massive advocate for. But I want to be honest with you. I was seriously considering leaving IOSH. I partly to my own fault i don't utilize it as much as some do um, and that would be a fair argument if somebody said well you're going to leave it because you get no value out of it so you say but then you don't go to any of the stuff that they put on which is a fair argument but there you go the reason i was going to leave is because i think i pay a reasonable chunk of money to them and and i don't wasn't overly agreeing with the messages that were coming out at the time um thought it was a bit old school um and, and yeah, I just wasn't a massive fan of it. I wasn't in a good place with it. So I was going to leave. Then they announced that Andrew Sharman was president-elect and due to be the president next year, which we are now in that year. So he's taken over from Vincent Ho. And we got going to go through a couple of his comments um, and um, from, from the magazine, which is basically taken from his, uh, what's it called, presidential keynote i don't know what you want to call it so we're going to talk about that then we're also going to talk about the tweaks that are happening within iosh around competencies of health and safety professionals okay so let's start with mr shaman's 
uh, article on the first page. So I'm just going to go straight into my first highlighted paragraph, which is IOSH is becoming more global and more connected. We're now in regular contact with like-minded organizations in more countries than ever before. And I want us to become even more successful at establishing our international influential voice. I'm a little bit on the fence with this bit to, to kind of hit straight in there with the controversial 10 pence worth. I agree. I do think that we as a country are probably one of the leaders in, in health and safety. Well, we are one of the leaders in health and safety. Um, I am a little bit on the fence of us focusing uh, on, on, on being influential elsewhere. How, how do I want to say this about sounding like an absolute dick? Well, I sound like a dick anyways on, on most of these podcasts. So my point here is saying that I'm not as in an amazing... I'm, <laughs> I'm doing really well here. I don't think health and safety is in such a good place as what we think it is, is what I'm trying to say. So, yes, we've done a damn good job at getting the fatalities down to, to where we are, at like 130 to 140, but... I, I feel like we're going backwards. I feel like if we don't if we don't nail down kind of this this perception of this red tape and this kind of stereotype around health and safety, I think we're going to go backwards. I think the culmination of kind of Brexit and uh, etc. I think health and safety was was a big part of that you know there was a lot of discussions around red tape etc and i think a lot of eyes are on us at the moment and i think we are putting our eyes elsewhere because we think we're amazing um i'm a massive advocate of us going and collaborating with other countries 100 percent because i think we need a bit of that diversity i do 100 percent think that we could learn a lot from from like eastern cultures we could learn a lot from you know different countries and how they're managing their kind of risks and how we're so different in so many ways and kind of share our perceptions of risk etc and our our kind of mitigating steps and how we kind of approach stuff 100 percent i think us to kind of step forward as an influential voice is maybe a little bit arrogant um i'm not sure I get we I get that we are influential in health and safety, but I genuinely am concerned that that we're we're losing that. This we're letting it slip a bit. So I wonder whether it's a little bit early to be doing that. That's my honest ten pence worth. Um, we'll 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 see how how it goes. But I get why we would do it. Next paragraph then that I've highlighted. I feel that now is the time we look onto the future years and reflect how practitioners around the world really made a step change in workplace safety. I want to work for the continued change of perspectives about our profession. For far too long, it has been blighted by negative media attention and even ridicule. Now, this is purposely why I left it to say my 10 pence worth of the first paragraph. I purposely left this one second because this absolutely brings me off the fence onto the side where yes we are an influential voice if we can attack that perception and that stereotype of health and safety at the same time as going to other countries and being an influential voice then 100% I'm on that side of the fence and we should do it but I think that we need to 100% as a as a collective all of us need to one not give the media anything to use against us to not give them 
no context in the decisions in which we make with health and safety to not go over the top giving the people that are encouraging the stereotype more ammo secondly we need to challenge the myths we need to challenge the stereotypes that are being communicated about us and not just laugh them off to be like well where are you hearing that that health and safety is not letting us play conkers because it's that time of year people conkers are coming out we're gonna start seeing it can't play conkers because of health and safety no 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 you can play conkers you 100% you can play conkers actually essentially I don't give a shit if you play conkers or not I'm gonna play it well maybe not I haven't played it in years but if I'm probably gonna pick them up and then be like oh this is cool put them in a bag and then do nothing with them like most of us but we need to challenge those stereotypes we need to not encourage them which is on us and we need to challenge them so I'm 100% off the fence now and up for us being that influential voice providing that we also keep one eye firmly placed on ourselves ensuring that we are going forward enabling us to be an influential voice next highlighted paragraphs then perspectives are changing steadily i'm determined that this continues to happen health and safety is not about rules and bureaucracy and creating burdens the work we do enables success and builds future resilience. That, in a nutshell, is why I am a massive fan of this gentleman. This is pretty much the tone across both books that I've read, of every article I've read, his TEDx speak that I've watched numerous times. This is essentially what I feel like is his biggest message. It's not about bureaucracy it's not about rules and this is probably the one reason i chose to stay with iosh and the one reason i chose to keep my eye on them whilst this happened so i really am excited about the future for health and safety with this man at the helm let's move on then next paragraph i think we need to oh sorry we need to think about the inputs required for great workplace health and safety and look at those elements that shape cultures and drive behaviors I think if you kind of, if you were to read or even just watch the review I did of the book of Accidents to Zero, that kind of adds a bit more to that. You know, he, he essentially kind of breaks down all those inputs within that book. Um, so if any health and safety professionals are sitting there thinking, you know, oh, that's well and good, but what kind of inputs are we talking about? Then, then get that book because I think it will really help you. Um, and in the meantime, whilst you're thinking about buying the book, you can go and check out the book review I did on YouTube. And if you do do that, don't forget to subscribe, hit like, give us a comment as well. And don't forget to hit the bell so you never miss another episode. Hashtag influencer. Hashtag shut up. Moving on. I have consciously given back to uh, oh sorry i'm going to start again i have been consciously giving back to pay it forward through volunteering for two decades now became edinburgh branch committee uh, i began on the edinburgh branch committee sorry began became vice chair uh, then chair served on committees on the iosh council as vice chair and board of trustees so this gentleman knows iosh probably inside and out um, and he's probably very well qualified to be in the job um, so just kind of give you a bit of context if you don't know who he is that's kind of his background within IOSH um, then we move on to kind of his 
next article within there where they continue basically from the conference um, and just kind of back him up on his on his kind of um, background is an experienced global safety consultant uh, professor of of health and safety and leadership I believe I can't remember the official title but he's professor of some something in the French or oh, what is it the French business god i've got it in my notes somewhere but i'm not got my notes in front of me my, i apologize this is terrible anyway he's a professor um he's become the iosh president now but immediately called on fellow members to challenge rules and remove bureaucracy 100 i back you and that's what we should be doing that's what i want you to do if you're sitting there listening to this if you're a health safety professional if you're not a health safety professional you're a, it doesn't matter what you are Go out there and ask why. Why is such a beautiful, beautiful word. I've always been a massive advocate of just asking why. Now, there's there's a manner in which you should say it. So think about last week's podcast when we were, you know, talking about how we communicate and the language that we use. You know, if we're going to go over and just be like, why, 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 pinking our fit, pointing our fingers and being very aggressive in it, then it, you completely kind of devalue the power of why you kind of you you lose it it loses its power but if, if we're very intelligent in how we ask why so health and safety professionals saying hey can you can you wear those gloves you know the example used in last week's podcast and you say okay yeah sure what why why do i need to wear the gloves i'm just curious and wondered if you can explain hopefully that person is going to go oh right yeah sure so we're going to work for this and that and this and that blah 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 and you can have that conversation. Why is a good thing? You know, if you're getting told rules or you're implementing rules or you're discussing rules and discussing bureaucracy, etc., ask why. Why are we doing this? What is the value that we're going to bring to the business here? Why are we doing this? And don't just accept some bullshit answer like health and safety law says so or it's health and safety because that's a crock of shit. You want to get some context to this stuff. You want to get some reasons why. Ask why and get a good answer and explore. Do it in a professional and polite manner because if that person is implementing something, they probably do have a reason why they're doing it but get that reason out of them, have a discussion, and if you don't agree, then disagree in a professional manner. And I think we're only ever gonna come to a good position. So let's move on then. It continues to say that we will see the true value of what the profession can offer. So for far too long, our profession has been blighted by negative media attention and even ridicule. Our members have been standing strong against this and the forward-thinking organizations are becoming wise to the valuable contribution the very best practitioners can bring to the business. 100%, I do think uh, a good health and safety professional doing what they do right um, should essentially be a CEO, a leader's right-hand man. If you are really good at health and safety, then you, you should be an absolutely friggin' awesome problem solver especially in the high-risk industry, or you're getting somebody from a high-risk industry, you should really be a phenomenal problem solver. You should be a phenomenal kind of visionary to a point that you can see a problem and you should really be able to think about weighing up the risk and you know be quite mindful of what's going on and, and how we're doing stuff. And they should ultimately be one of the biggest assets in the business. If you don't have that in your safety professional, then you might need to ask yourself some questions. So let me find the other page then. So that's basically 
what Mr. Shaman um, has spoke about mostly. Um, there is quite a big article about it in the IOSH News. There's about two pages um, of just covering kind of his opening speech, etc. But I'm quite excited to see what he's going to bring to the game. Um, as you can tell, I'm quite passionate about his message. Um, you know, and I 100% agree. It's not about creating burdens and bureaucracy. It's about enabling businesses to do what they need to do, but do it as safe as possible, creating just an awesome place to work. So the next thing that's changing is our IOSH competency framework. So IOSH has got a new competency framework. So they're reviewing how they look at competency of the health and safety industry. Um, and there's a little bit of an, uh, an article on it about called uh, enhancing careers, changing the landscape. Health and safety professionals must develop non-technical skills to keep pace in the fourth industrial revolution. The IOSH, IOSH's new competency framework will be key to this. So let's discuss. First paragraph. During a recent focus group at IOSH with leading occupational safety and health professionals, a member explained that she wished to recruit two people. Her pro first problem was filtering applicants. Everyone had the same qualifications and professed to have the same experience of conducting risk assessments, writing policy and procedures and so on. I I get that. You know, what you've that, is that not a problem in every every industry though? Um I don't think that's that special to us. I think everybody's got a degree nowadays. Everybody's, um, if you're working in sales, you're you're going to have the same things. If you had a sales assessment, everyone's going to profess to be in the best at sales assessment. But that is your kind of caliber of your interview as, as how to, and don't get me wrong, I have very little experience in interviewing people. So I'm not, I'm not here to, to kind of say that what you're doing is shite. I'm here to say, you know, just, discuss the obvious throw stuff out there play devil's advocate see what see what we come up with hopefully provoke some thought in your brains so i think that's a problem that's for everybody i think everybody has a kind of qualification in something if you're going to work in the environmental game you'll have an environmental degree if you're going to work in sales you'll have sales experience and sales degrees or whatever if you're going to work in psychology everyone will have a psychology degree i think that's on the candidates to make themselves stand out um you know, there's, there's loads of people out there on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's full of all these recruitment specialists that will tell you you've got to make yourself stand out. Go and message the person, the recruiting manager. Do that extra bit to find out. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I get what they're saying. It is a problem. Everyone's got those kind of those kind of um, same qualifications, similar experience, etc. But, you know, I don't think that's that much of a problem to review the competency framework, but let's continue on. Her second problem was that despite reducing the applications to a manageable number of interviews, she did not appoint any candidates. Why? Because none of them could show the skills they had, um, sorry, could show the skills to influence others and drive change in the workplace. Well done for not hiring them and telling them to piss off because they're obviously shite. I think this kind of what this does though it shows us that we've overlooked those kind of powers of influencing and those soft skill side of things <clears throat> now don't get me wrong i'm not a huge fan of the heavy focus that we have within health and safety on our qualifications now i'm probably a little bit biased on this because i've had to self-fund most of my 
big, well, my, my big qualification, my diploma, I've had to self-fund it and I've self-funded it late on in my career. You know, most people have the luxury to either, I don't know, pay for it themselves because they got a load of money, but they do it early on. A lot of safety professionals will join the industry at, a, at an age where they're probably got a bit of money because normally for most people it's a second career or they're given the job from within the business and therefore the business pays for them and they smash out their general certificate they smash out their diploma and boom they've got their grad IOSH status and then after a year or so they've probably got their chartered IOSH and then that automatically gets some interviews now as a person that doesn't have that grad IOSH but has kind of eight just over eight years experience in it I consider myself part of the kind of management level within the industry but would yet have historically struggled to get interviews at a manager level position because I don't even get considered because I don't have that diploma so I do think there's a heavy heavy kind of focus on that kind of so-called technical competence and that we believe that the technical competence is is dictated through that certificate or, or evidence through that certificate so, like I said, I am biased on that point because it has been a challenge of mine for, you know, ever since starting my diploma. And once I'm finished, I'll probably be on the other side of the fence being like, oh, everyone must have a diploma. Um, hopefully not. But my point here is that I get why we have them. They, they are, uh, they show, they do give you some competence. They do give you understanding. But I do genuinely think that within the health and safety game, maybe diploma less so because it takes a lot of time. But, you know, your general certificates, your level, what that, level three, there's very much um, like a, you, you, your driving lesson. You know, you, you learn to drive once you pass your test. I genuinely think that is what it's like. You get your general certificate, then you learn to be a health and safety professional. And I genuinely have learned a hell of a lot more from working as opposed to being in the classroom getting these qualifications. But I do think as employers, especially recruitment agencies, have a heavy, heavy focus on this technical competency or maybe not technical competency, but the membership status and the qualifications that they've had and I think they lose out on a lot of potential. I think if we just look at HSE inspectors for example, you know there's a big recruitment drive on for HSE inspectors at the moment but they won't even consider you unless you have a 2-1 degree. And I think how much talent are they losing out on there? I don't want to be a HSE inspector, HSE inspector but um, yeah, how much talent are they missing out on there because, because people don't have a 2-1 degree, what's that like second from top? Um, so it's a very high caliber to be um, demanding. Anyway, let's go. Let's carry on. So, next highlighted paragraph. With this in mind, we have modified the balance of support for our members. Although the technical understanding of, of the trade remains vital, we will no longer focus so solely on this. Now, for all the reasons I've just discussed, um, I'm looking forward to see how much this actually changes the industry and how much it changes the game. I am a little bit skeptical of it. I don't think it's going to change that much. I'm, I'm curious as to how they're going to assess this stuff. Um, but let's move on. Uh, we recognize that um, we need to do more to help members to build the skills and behaviors necessary to further their careers and become more effective influencers. Um, our new competency framework is a first step and the result of a lengthy evidence-led research project. 
We have identified 69 competencies. Could have just identified one more to get away from that number. Root 69. 40% are more traditional and technical competencies as 60% address the capability through core skills and behavior. The competencies are divided into three groups. Technical, core, behavioral. Now, I've come across quite a lot of people that I don't think have obtained the kind of softer skills that a, that a professional needs, that kind of influencing, that kind of um, strategic thinking, that relationship building. And I wonder if there's any, you know, how they, they've, they've, they've said in here, they're gonna, they're gonna do more to support members. I get that. But you've got to be a certain kind of person to be able to kind of really develop relationships, I think. And there's a very, there's a lot, of, I don't know, I'm, I'm just skeptical about it, I suppose. It's probably the best way to, to say it. I'm just a grumpy old man that's, that's in a mood because he doesn't have his diploma. So anyway, let's kind of break these down. A technical competence then, summarised into health and safety policy, risk management, incident management, health, safety and welfare, and the effect on people and sustainability. So these include complying with legislation, standards, policy, risk management, incident investigation. Um, also, new technical understandings aimed at working more effectively in the modern age, such as sustainability, ethical practice, human capital, capital and community impact, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and I shall do a bit of research and look into those. Um, but I, I do feel I like this human capital. Capi I can't say capital. Capital um, word. I'm not going to lie. It's the first time I've come across it. So I'm going to have a, a bit of a look into it. It's, it's, it's an intriguing phrase, I think. And community impact, which is, I like the word community. I do think that if we start considering our workplaces as communities and even start considering the impact on the wider communities outside, you know, our, our employees, families, etc. We might start building a better world. Let's move on to core competencies then. Uh, these cover This covers the skills to support and enable good decision making in the workplace. It includes competencies necessary to influence an operationally busy organization, enhance the employability and general effectiveness of the occupational safety and health professional. The competencies include strategy, planning, leadership and management skills. Interesting. I think they are definitely core things that we kind of we kind of do overlook. I do think you've got your kind of NCRQs start to look at this stuff now. Um, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn or anything like that if you've done the Nebosh side of it or Facebook. Facebook on Facebook. You know, if you've done the Nebosh side, I'd be interested to know if they focus on it. But in NCRQ, there's a heavy focus on considering the impact on business and having a bit more of a strategic mind um, and, and, and how we can kind of influence that stuff. So interesting that the NCRQ seem to have reacted to that a bit quicker than everyone else. Behavioral competency then. Um, occupational safety and health professionals must conduct themselves appropriately in the workplace. Competencies for building effective stakeholder relationships, delivering good personal and professional performance, developing exemplary communication skills and an ability to work productively with others. These are all abilities that underpin the building of successful and productive relationships. 
Yes, 100%, I agree that we need to focus on building relationships. However, I'm intrigued to see what they determine is those and how do you kind of get that from from your online CPD, for example? How do you understand my behavior from what I write in a CPD? So interesting to understand how they work out. I work with stakeholders. You know, is it just going to be like, can you detail it in a in a piece of writing that tells me how good you are? Well, I can write for hours about how good I am. It might be a load of bullshit, though, as far as you're concerned. I think a lot of people within the profession uh, don't like how I talk in this podcast. You know, quite sweary, quite aggressive at times, very excitable, like a like a Jack Russell on crack cocaine. You know, it's maybe not crack cocaine because that would make him all like I don't really know I've never done drugs so would that make you all like like dozy maybe on like speed yeah that would be better like a Jack Russell on speed anyway completely off subject most people think that the, the kind of manner in which this podcast is is quite unprofessional because of how I communicate and I swear I'm quite you know like I just said I'm quite you know, excitable in the manner in which I discuss things in here, quite passionate in a way, and some people won't like that. The minute I say the fuck word, people will be like, boom, not listening, not professional, switch off and move on. And that's fine, because we're probably not the right kind of people to be talking to each other if you don't like the word fuck, 100%. And I get that people don't like it, but I do need to understand that I think the world is changing in which, are we really that sensitive that you don't like the word fuck? Most industries I've worked in, people fucking swear all the time. People swear. Um, building industry, people swear. Manufacturing industry, people swear. You know, I've been in healthcare, they swear. People swear. Now, the point is that you can turn that on and off and choose when to swear and when not to swear. So I find it quite interesting if you listen to like Stephen Fry, for example, very well-spoken gentleman, rarely swears, but when he does swear, you listen. Boom, your ears prick up because it's something that you don't really hear from him. So everybody swears. It's just how you do it and when you do it. And some do it more. My generation and my kind of culture and where I've been born and raised and places I've worked, you know, heavily swore within the conversations. And that's just how it was. So that's how I am. I don't think that makes me any less of a good professional. I will be able to, I think one of the skills of a professional is to be able to select how you speak to different people. Yeah. So you're going to go to somebody that I think of a quite similar upbringing, a similar surrounding to me, you know, and find out that they're really sweary and blah, blah, blah. You can communicate with them in that manner. But then when you go and talk to someone I don't know, in a senior management position that turns out they're quite prim and proper, you're not going to go in there effing and blinding because you're just going to lose them in that conversation. So I'm interested to see how IOSH intend on assessing people's behavioural competency when it is such a diverse thing. You know, there is not one specific way to communicate. There is one specific way to communicate at a specific time in a specific case in a, to a specific group of people or to a specific person, but never one way for everybody because it just wouldn't work. So that's interesting um, to, to think about. I'll be interested to see what comes from this. I'm interested to 
see how that affects the industry, how that affects recruitment in the industry, because that's obviously one of the primary drivers here, as this woman was saying, and how it improves us as professionals. Will it finally start to challenge the stereotype of professionals? I do not know. Let's watch this space. We'll wait and see. And they finished the article saying exactly that. Watch this space, there is more to come. So for those of you that are not in the IOS game, you're not in the health and safety profession, I will keep you posted on this podcast. I hope you found that useful. I hope uh, you found it enjoyable if you didn't find it useful. I've been James McPherson. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. Just search for James McPherson. Come find us on Twitter at Safety Rebranded. Find us on Facebook at Rebranded Safety as well. All the links to our social are in the description. If you live, in, live living on iTunes, I hope you're not living on iTunes. That'd be a bit boring. Hashtag Matrix. If you are listening on iTunes, give us a rate and a review. Um, hopefully it's a good one but you know either way it'll be good if it's a bad one then give us a review as well so that I can no I can no 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 I can learn on where to improve don't forget to share this podcast people you know it's the best health and safety podcast you've ever listened to this is information the world needs to know what's what film's that from anyway I'll catch you in the next podcast people safe